uh, time is fast spent, so I'm going to be very uh, judicious in the use of my time this morning. Uh, I want to welcome all the guests, families, some friends that are worshiping with us. Too many for me to mention any names, but you're most welcome. We love you, and God bless your stay here in Jesus' name. But last year, I was ministering in a particular church in the United States, and I was talking to the pastor in the back room before I went on, on the platform. And he mentioned to me that his son, his oldest son, who was just of college age, had told him two weeks previously that he had been planning that upon his graduation from high school and going to college, he would never return home. Not even come back to church. And for the pastor, that was a rude awakening because he thought everything was fine. He thought he had a good relationship with his son and he thought the boy was on fire for God, loving God, and so forth and so on. And so this boy told his father that what turned him around was the message and a lifestyle of love that his father just embraced months previously. Now, I said this as a lead into this message this morning, and I'm continuing for what I started last week on divine wisdom to succeed. I say this because I want us to know that the conversation we had here a couple of weeks ago with our young people is not just unique to us. It's very important that us as parents and even us as young people do not think that what we're experiencing is unique just to us. It is a universal thing. And I want everyone this morning to know that even as we celebrate the wonderful birth and the greatest gift of God to mankind, Jesus Christ, that the enemy from the beginning has always been on the lookout to destroy posterities. Always. We saw that in Egypt, where the Pharaoh said to the midwives, every young child that's born as a son, kill them. Because he saw the potential threat to his kingdom in those children. And then we saw in the book of Matthew, at the time of the birth of Jesus Christ, Herod gave a decree, similarly, for all the new births to be killed. Because Herod saw these as potential threat to his kingdom. So, what I'm saying to us is what is happening is not new. However, we need to grow up in wisdom to know how to address it in our time. Amen? Amen. So what has happened here is not unique. It's not just about us. It's universal. Now, let me just give you a couple of statistics that startled me when I read them. The Southern Baptist Convention, they say 70 to 88 percent of young people leave church after their freshman year in college. Did you guys hear that? Did you hear that? Yes. Well, you guys are not surprised. Am I the only one that was surprised? 70 to 88 percent. They're in church. They live in loving Christian homes. They go out to college in the first year, and that's it. After that first year, they're done. 70 to 88 percent. Real numbers. Banner. 
and the USA Today, they came together and did another research. And of that research, they said 70% of teenagers stop attending church within two years of leaving high school. Now, should we see these figures, these statistics, and just ignore them as if this is normal? Has the abnormality become normal? Hello? Now, I'm bringing this to us because I don't want us to think that what we heard two weeks ago, or however long ago, is just unique here. No, it's not. Something is happening. Now, further research tells us some of the reasons for the exodus. Number one among them, shallow belief system. Huge. Sammy and I talked about this months ago. Shallow belief system. What do our young people believe? What do our children believe? Do they go to church because we drag them there? Do they know why they go to church? I know when Tony was younger, as a little girl, she would ask me, why does she have to repent of her sins when she has not, quote-unquote, sinned per se? Hello? For a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 6-year-old, what does repentance mean? Why do they have to do so? And I'm sorry, I wish I could tell you I beat my chest and said, man, I gave her a great explanation. No, I didn't. I didn't. Why? Because even for me, as of that time, unfortunately, we had never truly been taught as to why we need to become believers. Other than turn or burn. Turn or you burn. That can only keep a child for so long. The threat and the scare and the fright. You better live right or burn. Can you smell the sulfur? If you don't live right, you burn. It's good for a little while. But as they, be, as they begin to get older, go to college and sit in classrooms taught by ungodly, evil, wicked professors sent from hell. They better have a better reason than turning or burn. Otherwise, they'll be turning to the wrong things. So the number one reason for this exodus is shallow belief system. Number two is that there's no room for doubt. And let, and let me explain that. No room for doubt. Let me explain that. These young people have questions the church didn't answer. And in some cases, ignore at our own peril. Questions like, why do things happen to good people? Hello? <laughs> so if we don't have an answer, or if we ignore it, guess what happens? They're seeking answers in other places, and unfortunately, it's not going to be the church. Number three reason for the Exodus exclusiveness of the faith. 
What do I mean by that? This is the notion, and we know that this is true, that only Jesus Christ is the way to God. It's an exclusive thing. It is only Jesus. It's not Mohammed. It's not Confucius. It's not Buddha. It's not Hindu. There are no other ways. It's only one, and Jesus is the way. However, however, we teach that and we that, and that's true. But in a culture that lots tolerance, acceptance, and open-mindedness, claiming Christ as the only way to God is a hard pill to swallow. It doesn't mean that we need to change on that because we cannot negotiate that truth. It's the truth. But how do we convey it? And lastly, number four, as to the reasons for giving, reasons given for the Exodus is that there is no answers to opposition. By that I mean our children are not adequately prepared to defend the faith. All you have to do is watch the movie. God is not dead. We as a freshman in a philosophy class, the professor challenges every student that there's no God. And a young boy was left researching and trying to convince that professor and the entire class that there's a God. That's the world in which, in which we live in. You need to understand that. As parents, we must understand the world in which we're living. Because if you don't understand that, you're not going to be relevant and you'll not have a message that will resonate with your children. Amen? Now, it's not all bad. It's not all bad. Fuller Theological Seminary did a research and as a result of the research, wrote a book called Sticky Faith. Everyday Ideas to Build Lasting Faith in Your Kids. It's a book. Sticky Faith. Everyday Ideas to Build Lasting Faith in Your Kids by Kara Powell and Chap Clark. In that book, they made three suggestions and I want to share them with you. And I'm going to use one of them for the message this morning. Number one suggestion is that kids should be raised in a culture, hear this, that emphasizes a relationship with Christ as opposed to adherence to a set of rules. Emphasis should be on the relationship with Christ, not adherence to a set of rules. Secondly, That the young people should be raised and surrounded by an intergenerational faith community. And lastly, and this is where I'm going this morning. This is where I'm going to go this morning. Lastly, the most important factor by far in those kids who have left home and stuck with the faith and stood their ground and kept on excelling in the faith and in the things of God, the most important factor by far is their role parents. Who is willing to walk with them through their journey of faith? Huge. This is what I'm saying to you. Is the faith that we have 
going to be good enough to be transferred to our children? Or are they going to look at our faith and say, I don't want it? This Christmas season, when God gave the gift of his son to mankind, and hopefully through that gift, to be a blessing to you and I, so that the gift of God will keep on giving through generations. I want us to think about that this morning. Are our children going to say, I want the God of my father? Or are they going to run away from the God that we claim and display to them? So, at this morning, to, to answer this question, to, to move forward in this message, I'm going to use the book of James. The book of James in the New Testament is a powerful and practical manual for applying our faith to our everyday life. That's what the book is written about. The whole book. The book of James. It's a very powerful and practical manual that teaches us how to use our faith in everyday living. Amen? Because if we don't address this exodus 10, 15 years from now, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. If we don't address what I'm talking about now, in 10, 15, 20 years from now, USA will look at Europe. Oh, you guys, you, you, I, I don't think the truth is done on you at all. Gaddafi said this a couple of years before he died. He said Islam does not need to use violence. In fact, we have the videotape. We have it here somewhere. He said, Islam does not need violence. It's about just the mere fact of their reproductive rate. They will take all over Europe. Where the average French man is having, or rather, average French family is having 1.8 children. An average Islamic family is having 5 and 6. Do the math. And they are all over Europe. So with that jihadist, with that extremism, in time, if they stuck to their strategy, they will overtake these places. They will overtake these places. So what I'm saying to us is, if we don't do something, if we don't do something, if, or rather, should I say this, if we don't be something, in a few years, it will be a different story. But God will not allow that to happen in Jesus' name. Amen. Because there will be a group of people who will get it right and be right. And because we be right, we live right. And that's what James wrote all about. The entire book of James. Now, just so you don't miss the story. James is a very interesting person. He's a brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. In James, I mean not James, in John chapter 7, he's one of the brothers who confronted Jesus and said, listen, if you really believe in what you're doing, you should not be doing your works hiding. Go out and let people see you, confirm your faith with your works. I'm sharing that so you understand the background and the backdrop and the context from which James is writing. James is a very practical man. He was telling Jesus, listen, all this is you're doing, you do it in Galilee, you do it in Capernaum. Go outside, go to the and do it. Let the whole world see what you're doing. Don't just do it here in these little small platforms. 
Go to the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. Let everybody see what you're doing. Is it really real? Show it to the world. You follow what I'm saying? It is from that thinking, that background that is writing to us. He's been changed by the life of his brother, Jesus Christ. He's not born again. He's not considered a pastor at the church in Jerusalem. When a church hit a crossroad in Acts 15, he was the one that educated the matter and said, it feels good to me and to the Holy Spirit that a Gentile church should be admitted to the church, not on the basis of works, but on the basis of what Jesus has done. I'm giving you background so you understand where this guy is coming from. So now, in James chapter 1, the first thing he tells us is, don't be afraid of persecution. Trial, hardship is going to come. Because if you are living, life happens. But when it does come, if you lack wisdom in how to deal with it, ask. It goes on chapter 2, tells us that faith has corresponding action. It's not good enough as my father, my mother, my sister, my brother, to say you are a believer, you love God, and every day I'm looking at you, I cannot see a consistency between what you're saying and what you're doing. James said, I have a problem with that. If you have faith, show me your works. Your faith will be confirmed by the corresponding action that I'm seeing in and through your life. So don't talk to me about your faith and you're not showing me any goods. Faith has good works that is born out of the love of God. So he ends chapter 2. And please go with me to chapter 2 of James, verse 20. In our popular translation. Thank you. Use your heads. Do you suppose for a minute that you can cut faith and works in two and not end up with the cups on your hands? Now, let, let, let's ponder for a minute. Please, uh, this is not a beat the parents did, so please understand the, where I'm coming from. But I want us to learn from this. We can't keep on telling our kids, I love God, I love you, but don't have a demonstration. It's not possible. This is not the generation. In this generation, they need an answer. Don't just tell me, show me. That's why I like Missouri, the show me state. (laughs) Don't tell me about it, show it to me. Demonstrate it. So James is saying, use your head. Do you suppose for a minute that you can cut faith and walk in two and not end up with the cups on your hands? Go on. Wasn't our ancestor Abraham, watch this, made right with God by works when he placed his son Isaac on the sacrificial altar? He's going to qualify that. Isn't it obvious that faith and works are yoked partners? Now look at that language. Did you see that? Faith and works are yoked partners. They are working together. You cannot have faith and tell me there's no corresponding work. It's not possible. They are yoked partners. That faith expresses itself in works. That the works are works of faith. So we are not talking about self-righteousness here. We are not talking about creating works on your own. No, no, no. We are saying because of your faith, 
there will be works that reveal that faith. Go on. Verse 23. The full meaning, oh my God, I love this. The full meaning of belief in the scripture sentence. Abraham believed God and was set up with God includes its action. It's that mesh of believing and acting that God, Abraham, named God's friend. Oh my goodness. I need to take off my job. I'm getting, I'm getting too excited. This is too much. And I became, I'm wearing my jeans at the, at the ball. Verse 24. Is it not evident that a person is made out with God not by a barren faith, but by faith fruitful in works? Go on. The same with Rahab. The Jericho Hallow. Now this is, this is terrible. Did you say that? I'm sure nobody would name their children Rahab after today. <laughs> Rahab the Jericho Harlot. I mean, what a description. Rahab, anyway, let me leave that alone. Okay. <laughs> the same with Rahab the Jericho Harlot. Wasn't her action in hiding God's spies and helping them escape that seamless unity of believing and doing what counted with God? Very powerful questions here. So, time out for me as a father, as a parent, going home, claiming to be a man of God, a woman of God, and being mean to my wife or to my spouse. It's inconsistent. Time out for me as a parent, seeing something I don't like with my children, and totally forgetting that I'm a man of grace, I'm a man of love, and totally acting in a way that's inconsistent. We are giving them a different message. They will never hear you for seeing what you are doing. And that's why the very first chance they get to get out of the house, they are gone. You're not going to see them again. They are gone. Because they escaped from the tyranny of the false lifestyle where we profess something but live a different thing. Jesus calls it a hypocrite. I know it's not talking to anybody here, but those guys are, are there. <laughs> Nobody here is like that. But seriously. Go on. The very moment you separate body and spirit, you end up with the cops. Separate faith and works, and you get the same thing a cops. Go on. Good. Now, when you read chapter 3 of James, you're almost wanting to think this is a different message. And I've said it to you, and I'm saying to you again, it's important to read the message in the full context. All through the book of James, the message is the same. Patience in good works, patience in, patience in persecution, patience in love, patience in, uh, in fulfillment. Everything's about Patience. The whole book. The whole entire book. Man came to break into chapters and verses to make it easier to read. So in chapter 3, he begins to speak to us about the tongue. Remember the closing verses of chapter 2? Faith, 
without works is dead. And just so you understand what he's saying by that, he's not asking you and I to go and manufacture your own works outside of faith or outside of God. No. He's saying to me and you that automatically when I believe, my behavior will be consistent. And it will produce result. So in chapter 3 verse 1, huge. Don't be in a rush to become a teacher, my friends. Teaching is highly responsible work. Teachers are held to the strictest standards. You know who the teachers are? No, no, no. It's not just your pastor or your evangelist or your prophet or your apostle. No. Parents are teachers. Train up a child in the way that they should go. And when he's old, he shall not depart from it. So the first teachers in the life of our children are parents. If you are not ready to parent, don't ready to be a father or a mother. So he said to us, by the mere virtue that we are given instructions or training or teaching, more scrutiny is on you. Oh my goodness. Wait a minute. Are, are you guys hearing what I'm saying? Or is it just more scrutiny is on you? So when I tell my child, you can't eat in room, always eat on the table. But I get my own food and go into the room. Because I'm watching my favorite show. I'm watching 60 minutes. Really? What kind of a message is that? You are not a teacher, you are a tyrant. If you do that, Thank you. it's hypocrisy. You tell to him, tidy your room, make up your bed, don't throw your clothes all over the floor. And on his way to school in the morning, you just come and say, Daddy, Mommy, I'm going to school. And opposite that to your, to your room. <laughs> and your room looks like a warm wind just came through the whole place. He, enter, he goes out going to school and says, Ah, Mommy and Daddy, I, I thought they tell me I need to clean my room. Their room is nastier than the one they asked me to clean. Hello? As teachers, we are under more scrutiny than the people that receive instruction. You can't be saying this set of rules belong to you and this one. No. They will never learn like that. There must be a consistency. Everything God tells me you to do, he's already done it. He's not asking us to do anything he has not already done and perfected. Yes. And then we do it with bold face. And when the child says, but mommy, your daddy, your room is not clean. Oh, your car is a, is a trap hazard. <laughs> Some of these parents' cars, to get inside those cars, you climb over a trap here, IED here, you barely... And then you have the audacity to tell your child you need to clean your car. They are confused. They are confused. There has to be consistency. But not only that, when we blow it, because to whom much is given, much, much is required. You cannot blow it and just assume that because you're a parent, you're a teacher, you're an adult, you're wiser, therefore I can blow it and just ignore it. No! You're teaching them, giving me the wrong message. We do make mistakes and we do blow it. But when that happens, what should we do? We bring it back in. Son, you know what? I know what I told you about this X, Y, Z a few days ago. But you, I want you to know, I missed it. I missed it there. 
I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. And I apologize for that. When you do that, what you're teaching him? You are teaching him a place of accountability. Yes. That's not the place to say, who are you talking to? <laughs> Who's playing the bass in this house? I'm your father. Don't you know that? I pay your school fees. Well, when you stop paying the school fees, the drug lord is out there waiting to pay it. I saw a program not long ago. This is, this is a true story. You know what these drug guys are doing? They are camping in front of the high schools. True story. They are camping across from my high schools. What are they looking for? They are targeting kids who are disenfranchised. Kids with low self-esteem. Kids looking for love in the wrong places. And they offer the love that's not available in their homes. And hook them. And you are in church every Sunday, raising your pants and shouting hallelujah. And the drug pain, the drug lord has taken your child. Hello? Verse 2. Oh, wow. I need to move. And none of us is perfectly qualified. We get it wrong nearly every time we open our mouths. <laughs> if you could find someone whose speech was perfectly true, you have a perfect person in perfect control of life. We're talking about mature. Okay? Verse 3. A beat in the mouth of a horse controls the whole horse. Go ahead. A small rudder on a huge ship in the hands of a skilled captain sets a course in the face of the strongest winds. Go ahead. A word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. It only takes a spark, remember, to set up a forest fire. Did you hear that? Things we say carelessly. Careless talk. I do talks over our children. You are as dumb as your mother. Now, 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 that, that, that's one of the nicest ones. The, the real password I can't say from the pulpit. Crazy stuff. Out of anger, in a moment, release poison. Words that will find them out 20 years later. Yes. Jesus already told us that words are containers. And death and life, the Bible says, are in the power of the tongue. So are you speaking death over your children or life? You are so stupid. Look at you. Your mates are getting A's in class. We get a B and a C. What is wrong with you? You are so stupid. And so instead of improving, it gets a D the next time. And you are wondering why. You just named him. You, did, did you know what God did through Adam? Adam named every beast in the universe. And after he named them, God said it is so. You, who has been created in the image and likeness of God, you now name your child and call him stupid. Who will undo that? For what? Because the child did not bring home a great grade. Good. We love good grades. What is the degree of Steve Jobs? The man who stole your card in your pocket right now. iPhone. Or Bill Gates. The man that made Microsoft. 
Any degrees that they get. But you can't live without the things they invented. And you totally with your mouth, destroy your own children, and then you're praying to God to fix them. It needs to stop. There must be a consistency between what we believe and what we live out. It only takes a spark. I, I, listen, listen, I'm, I'm not above what I'm sharing with you this morning. I've said things out of my mouth that I say, wow, I wish I didn't say it. If you are married, you know what I'm talking about. It just takes one, one careless statement. And three days later, you're, you're still miserable. And your entire household, miserable with it. It always begins with the tongue. This tongue, this thing, it's terrible. It's tiny. That's why God hides inside your mouth. <laughs> to protect you. <laughs> and just like I said to you, Look at James now. James said we should be quick to hear, but slow to speak. It's in the book of James. He knows what he's talking about. You open your mouth carelessly and you destroy. Your Christmas is messed up. Your New Year is messed up. Your Valentine. You are taking your wife to a nice hotel for Valentine. You say something nasty, it's all messed up. You're finished. You might just pack, pack back and go home. It's destroyed. Ah, well, that's not really what I meant. I'm just, I'm no, no. You're trying to fix. Just be quiet. <laughs> that's why God gave you two ears. You need them both. And one tongue. It's set off a forest of fire. Let's read it. A careless or wrongly place word out of your mouth can do that. Are there any testimonies here? Anybody can agree with that? With that? Yes, sir. Has anybody said anything carelessly? Yes. The rest of you will pray for you after the service. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this. By our speech, we can ruin the world. Turn harmony to chaos. Throw mud on a reputation. Send the whole world up in smoke and go up in smoke with it. Smoke right from the pit of hell. Man, I love this translation. My goodness. Is Pastor Shina here? Where is he? Where is he? Is he here? Yes. Yes. After service, see Pastor Shina. <laughs> Next verse. Quickly, please. This is scary. You can tame a tiger, but you can't tame it's never done. The tongue runs wild. A wanton killer. With our tongues, we bless God our Father. With the same tongues, we curse the very men and women. He made in his image. Now, isn't that scary? I mean, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. God, you're a great God. The moment you lift your hands now, you see your child play with something you told him not to play. What is wrong with you? Are you crazy? <laughs> From blessing God to talking to a lunatic. Can you imagine that? I mean, it's, it's amazing. Curses and blessings out of the same mouth, my friends. This can go on. That's what we're talking about this morning. This 
can't go on, shouldn't go on, we don't want it to go on. A spring doesn't gush fresh water one day and brackish the next, does it? Apple trees don't bear strawberries, do they? Raspberry bushes don't bear apples, do they? You are not going to dip into a polluted mud hole and get a cup of clear, cool water, are you? Serious questions. Now, let me just pause there for a moment. Why is this guy talking about tongue like this? He just addressed us in chapter 2, faith without works is dead. And he made it abundantly clear what he's talking about in works. My faith should have corresponding action born out of love and the grace of God. Then in the next chapter, he begins to talk about the unruly tongue. The kind of problem that tongues can create. And on and on and on. So you want to watch, why James? Why, why just pick up the tongue? Because the tongue is an instrument that we use in everyday conversation. This is where the rubber meets the road. Everybody will not have to raise the dead. Everybody will not have to pray for cancer. Everybody will not have all kinds of other myriad of needs. But one thing is sure that Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So while you are telling me about how righteous you are, how holy you are, how wonderful a believer you are, the only way from the text, the pause of your intimacy with God is hearing what you are saying. I don't have to go to seminary for that. I don't have to go anywhere for that. I just have to live with you in the house and hear what you're saying. Your phone call, conversations, your interaction with your wife, your interaction with your children, your co-worker. All I have to do is hear what you're saying because out of the abundance of your heart, you're speaking. So this is consistent with James's message that what we're saying should be the corresponding life practical application life actions to the faith we say we have. So if I have faith, why am I speaking death? If I have faith, why am I spewing out poison? If I have faith, why am I cursing my wife? Why am I cursing my husband? Why am I cursing my children? Now, that word curse, when you say, when you use the word curse, it's not talking about obscenity per se. Although some of us have them. Oh yes. Some of us in this room still use those words, unfortunately. But that's not what James is talking about. Anytime you speak words that do not build up or edify, you're cursing. In fact, in fact, give me verse 12 again. James 3, 12. Maybe verse 11. Yep. A spring doesn't gush fresh water one day and brackish the next. Does it? Let me go to a scripture. In 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings 2. I'll, I'll read this to us. Verse 
we are not going to lose our children. Amen. We are not going to lose our young people. Amen. God will help us and we will cooperate with him in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2 Kings chapter 2, in verse 19, <clears throat> Elisha had just received the mantle from Elijah. He's now in Jericho. And in verse 19, the men of the city said to Elisha, please notice, the situation of this city is pleasant as my Lord sees. But, we only have a problem, but the water is bad and the ground barren. And he said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the source of the water and cast the salt there and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From it, there shall be no more death or barrenness. So the water remains healed to this day, according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. How did he know what to do? How did he know what to do? Here he is in a land in Jericho, and there was a problem. And they came to him and said, Elisha, there's a problem. How did this man of God know the solution? Why did he not just pray? He knew what to do because the spirit of wisdom was working in him. But that's not really where I'm going. They had two problems. The water was bad and the fruit of the land was also bad. The land was barren. It was not producing. But notice this. The bad water and the barrenness were related. He only fixed one and both got results. Our children may not be doing well in school. They may not be behaving properly. They may be doing things we don't expect them to do. We may be disappointed at their behavior. But instead of addressing the fig leaves and the symptoms of what you are saying, go to the root. When you fix the root, the symptoms, symptoms will leave. The root. You are wasting your time. I just say, oh, you, you, you didn't practice in class today. Don't do that tomorrow. Simple. You are late to get into class. Don't do that tomorrow. Symptom. And you go around fixing symptoms that never end. When you need to address the root of the problem. The source. Notice what Elisha did. Get me a bowl. Put salt in it. Took the salt, went straight to the source where the water comes to the city, and passed it in there, and the thing healed. Pick it up in Colossians chapter 3. Oh no, chapter 4. Paul in verse 5 and 6. Ah, no, let's read it. Because you need to see it. Let's read it. Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside redeeming the time. So what does wisdom say to do? Number six, verse six. Let your speech always be with grace. Seasoned with salt that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Paul is making reference to what Elisha did. 
Let your words be with wisdom. If you look at chapter 3 of Colossians, first it says, let the words of Christ dwell richly in you with all wisdom. Yes. Chapter 4 it says, in verse 5, he addresses the wisdom part first. Then it says, let your words be with grace. What's grace? Unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor. What are you dealing with with this child? Let grace lead you into the conversation. Let your words be with grace. Daddy, don't tell me about how nasty my clothes look. Tell me for proud to be my, my father. Grace. Ah, you guys are not hearing me. Let me, let me speak to heaven. Because they need to get an affirmation from you. Because at school, all they are hearing is that all the wrong things. Kids can be brutal. I love you. You are a gift of God to me. And then address the issue. Don't just see them and want to cut their head off. Ah, you, you made, you brought in this house, in my, my father, myself. We, we never make B's. We are all A pluses. Where did you get this from? Who's your father? Hello? We give him a, 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 a life history. Rather than telling him a love story. And the first person that brings them a love story, they hook to that person. And we wonder what happened to our kids. They want our love, not our condemnation. Because Jesus does not condemn anybody. The good, the bad, the ugly, he never condemns. Hear ourselves. Hear how we talk. We want them to be clean before they take a bath. Isn't that ridiculous? A person is nasty, they come to you. You say, go clean yourself before you go take a bath. Does that not sound ridiculous? What's the purpose of the bath if I have to clean myself first before I take a bath? Jesus is our bath water. He receives us, accepts us the way we are. But thank God that by the time he finishes dealing with us, he takes us to another dimension, another level. But he does not do so through condemnation. I need to find a good place to break it. Let me just define wisdom from the scriptures and I'll stop. Because I don't want to overload you. Again, go with me to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. Solomon just became king. He just became king over Israel. In verse 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and God said, ask, what shall I give you? So let's jump to verse 9. Solomon responds to God, therefore give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people. 
that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge these great people of yours? Interesting. What does Solomon ask for? An understanding heart. To do what? To discern between what? Good and evil. Ah! You missed something there. Huge. Huge. In First Chronicles, that same request from Solomon is translated, give me wisdom. So we know right there that wisdom really is having an understanding hearing out. Are you hearing me? Wisdom is having an understanding and hearing heart. Now you can appreciate why Jesus told his disciples in Luke 12, 12. They bring it before the council, before the synagogues. Don't worry what you're going to say. For in that same hour, the Holy Ghost will teach you what to say. Luke chapter 12, verse 12. Mark chapter 13, verse 11. Similar passage. Now, if you cannot hear and the Holy Spirit is teaching you, would you know what to do? Because wisdom is having a hearing and understanding. If you read through Proverbs, all the book of Proverbs, every time you see wisdom, you see understanding. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. You know you're getting what? Get what? Understanding. They go together like cousins all through the book of Proverbs. But this is the important thing that Solomon said here. Give me understanding that I may be able to discern between good and evil. Ah! Why did Adam and Eve fail? They wanted to have knowledge of good and evil without an understanding heart. They partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Not having the tree of life. It is within the tree of life that you can design, not just know, design between good and evil. Huge. In David's day, it was wrong for anyone to eat the bread in the tabernacle. But he ate it and Jesus validated it. In one dispensation, it was evil. But Jesus looked at the same thing and nothing is wrong with it. Why? He had discernment. He was not just looking at knowledge of good and evil. God help me to help you to understand this little bit of this message. In Psalms 36 verse 9, the Bible says, you, in you, is the fountain of life. In your light, we have light. So, the opposite of that is also true. Apart from your light, I have no light. But unfortunately, we are thinking that we have light because we have memorized some rote or some discipline or some things that we good and evil. And therefore, we are trying to live according to what we think we know, not knowing that anything outside of him is darkness. In your light, Jesus, in your revelation, in the understanding of what you are doing and saying, in you, Jesus, then I have light. The light that I have is only in proportion to the light I have in you. And apart from you, I have no light. You are the light of the world. Nothing else. 
So as parents, I must be acutely aware that I must not judge what I'm seeing according to knowledge. I must judge righteous judgment. And righteous judgment only comes from the giver of life, Jesus Christ himself. Huge. Amazingly, they partook of the tree in the garden. What did God do? Immediately, God pointed them to Jesus. Genesis 3.21 God took a coat of skins and covered them. Right there telling them, you guys don't know what you just took off. The right person to show you accurate knowledge, accurate information about living and discernment between good and evil is coming. In his blood, by accepting on his his blood, you will have light and that light will be the light of man. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Let's stop right there for today. Let me just say this to us. Whenever you find yourself in a situation that requires you to answer, take a cellar pause. Ask God, how shall I answer? Amen. This thing that's before me, what do you want to use my mouth to say? I don't want to speak death. I don't want to speak poison. In James chapter 3, we are told that the tongue is a hair, is a fire of hell. Jesus reversed that in Acts chapter 2. While the tongues of hell is working in man, on the day of Pentecost, another tongues came upon man. Tongues of fire that gave them another tongue. In other words, what they would have normally said that would have offended their generation, when the tongues of fire came upon them, Rather than become an offense to their generation, they became a blessing to their generation. I pray for you today that the tongues of fire from heaven will alight upon you and I, that it will change our tongues, that we will not speak with the words of man's wisdom, but we speak in the power and demonstration of God's spirit in the of Jesus, that we will never be the same again. We will give ourselves wholly to the things of God and allow the words of God to dwell richly in us with all wisdom. And Father, I cut down every death that has been spoken over our children, every poison that has been released over their lives in the name of Jesus carelessly, knowingly, or unknowingly, I thank you that we cast our cares, concerning them unto you, in the name of Jesus. Those words will not prosper. We cut them down. We destroy them. In the name of Jesus, we uproot them. Our children are a delight and a pleasure to you and to us in their generation. In the name of Jesus, they will excel. They will be a blessing. Will prosper in everything they do and touch. In the name of Jesus, the enemy will not steal our children. We refuse to allow that. We do not permit that. In the name of Jesus, our children and our younger generation are no go area for the enemy. In the name of Jesus, 
Thank you, Father God. We bless you. We praise you. We honor you. We magnify you. Thank you for your wisdom that's at work with us. Thank you, Lord. Jesus. You've been made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. We walk in you. We thank you for your direction. Holy Spirit, we thank you that we are vessels unto you. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Praise God. Praise God.